Good morning. I see that the, uh, the Zika virus has hit Marysville, and it seems to be camping right here in these four first rows. Thank you, Pastor Bob, for taking one for the team and, uh, and, and taking the, the... Don't be afraid of the front. It's okay. We stand far enough back that you won't get spit on, uh, and if you do, it's all right. You probably didn't take a shower this morning anyway. <laughs> no, I hope you did. Hey, um, does anybody know any bandwagon fans? Like, fans that... Whatever team is doing well, like they're, I thought I saw you back there, Baylor. Baylor's the biggest bandwagon fan that I've, that I've come to know. He roots for whatever team is winning. It's kind of like this, this video right here. Mary, will you hit that? Classic, classic bandwagon fan, right? Like their team is doing really bad, and so all of a sudden they're the fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers because they just happen to beat Golden State Warriors. Anybody know any of them? Is, would anybody admit to like, yeah, I'm a bandwagon fan. I just kind of root for whoever is winning. Nobody? All right, good. I'm glad you didn't admit that. So, okay, okay, good deal. Um, I had a friend uh, when I was in high school. Um, it was 2002. Ohio State just won the national championship. Right? I go into school. That next weekend, my friend Bill, we're at lunch. Uh, I think we're at lunch. Something in the cafeteria. It could have been study hall. I don't know. Probably lunch, because that's the only thing I remember from high school is lunch. Um, we were sitting across from each other, and he's talking about the, the championship game, and he's talking about how annoyed and frustrated he is because he can't find any championship gear because of all these bandwagon fans who have gone out and, and purchased all the Ohio State uh, national championship gear. And I'm sitting here across from Bill, and I'm listening to him. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Bill, I have never once heard you talk about Ohio State football. <laughs> like, never have I seen you wear something Ohio State or mention a football game, and you're complaining about the bandwagon fans who, buy, who are buying all the national championship gear, and so you can't buy uh, any of this gear. Right? We have these bandwagon fans, but honestly, like, who gets to set the, like, who gets to set the benchmarks and the standards for what a true fan is? Right? Like, who do, who, is there a committee out there? Like, in order to be a true fan, you have to watch this percentage of the games throughout the season. Or does anybody memorize stats? Do we, do we have any sports stats memorizers in here? Nobody? Oh, that's interesting. Usually, Harold, Harold knows them all. I know he does. He knows all, he knows all numbers everywhere, ever given to him. <laughs> I, I, he probably knows my social security number off the top of his head. <laughs> uh, these sports fans that can, like, they can tell you the lineup day in and day out in a baseball game, and they can tell you their batting average, their slugging percent, their OPS, their on-base percentage, all these stats. But, like, what is it? What is this benchmark? that determines whether or not someone is a true fan versus a bandwagon fan. But let's be honest, in our, in our Christian faith, um, sometimes we put these similar kind of faux benchmarks and faux standards on what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Like, this is what being a Christian or a Christ follower looks like. If you do this, you can be a Christian, 
will call you a Christ follower. But if you don't do this or if you do this, then you're out. You don't make the cut. Where do these faux standards and these benchmarks come from? Or you certainly can't be a Christian if you identify with that political party, right? These, these ideas of benchmarks and standards of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. But who is it that gets to decide that? I mean, who comes up with these benchmarks and who's to say that one person's benchmarks and standards are better or right or more writer, writerist, more, I don't know, um, than, than another person's? Who gets to decide? I mean, ultimately, it's God, right? I mean, it's his standards and benchmarks uh, that we live up to. But if we're honest, how many times have, have we, and when we say we, I'm very much including myself, have we been guilty of putting these benchmarks and standards and to-do lists and to-not do lists in place to determine if someone is a true believer? For the past few weeks, uh, we've, been, we've been looking at a, at a series called Alternate Reality. Um, we, we've been looking at this alternate reality that God has called us to, and we've been taking a look at this through the book of 1 John. Uh, and 1 John was written by John, who was the disciple of Jesus. And, and this is much later in his life when he's, uh, he's an old man John and Grandpa John, and he, he had spent three years as this super close friend of Jesus. In fact, John was so close to Jesus that he was often referred to as John the Beloved. Now, John was an old man at the time of writing 1 John, and, uh, and he was writing to fellow followers of Jesus. And, and John was using his authority as an old man who once walked alongside Jesus in order to teach this community of believers. And in this letter of 1 John, he kind of lays out the benchmarks, or he lays out a litmus test, if you will, for who is a Christian, who is not a Christian, who is a child of God, and who is a child of evil. Now, if you remember, uh, John was, was using these writings in order to address uh, some problems that had uh, arose in the church. Um, some scholars believe that there was even this mass exodus um, of, of people from the church that, it, that had left. And, uh, and, and at the very least, we know that there were false teachings coming up in the church. Uh, teachers who had, who had come up with these ideas that were not in line with the teachings of Jesus. And some would say that there was uh, ones who split off from this church and decide to follow uh, the ways of the world. Uh, and for certain, we can be certain that those that were kind of advocating for these false teachings were certainly trying to kind of win over those who had remained faithful to the true teachings of Jesus. Now, we can imagine that there were probably many discussions here. And by discussions, I probably mean there were arguments over Facebook, right? Like if there was Facebook in 1 John, this would have been the place for the Facebook arguments, right? Like the, the, those who had bought into the false teachings and those who remained faithful to the teachings of Jesus certainly were having these discussions. And the discussions probably uh, went something along the lines of figuring out who was right and who was wrong, who, was the, who were the true followers of Jesus, who were the not true followers of Jesus, who was good, who was bad, who was good, who was evil. And with this in mind, old man John 
who seems to be very intimate with his audience, uh, provides this litmus test about determining who is of God. Let's take a look at that together. We're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to cruise all the way to the end of chapter 3 uh, through verse 24. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not, remain, who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our, heart, our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I want to just kind of take uh, a verse by verse look at this passage uh, to kind of unpack what John is setting as this standard of believers or the kind of this litmus test for followers of Jesus. And it starts out um, by, by saying, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Like old man John is saying, guys, you want to know what it looks like to tell, to, to tell if someone is a Christ follower? Uh, it, it's, it's been the same way since the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And trust me, I walked with him. Like I spent three years of my life close to this Jesus guy. I talked with him. And we also know from earlier uh, passages in 1 John that John is not above pulling the BFF card, right? Like we see that, that John kind of pulls this, like Jesus and I were best friends, right? And he's not above pulling this card in his letter to kind of, um, to kind of create some authority. He says, I was with him from the start of his ministry. I know how to tell when someone is abiding in him. If someone is living in this alternate reality that we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks, and I kind of feel like John was saying, like, I wish I could tell you that there was this, this checklist and like these things that you do and you don't do so it would be really easy for you to just go through and say this person is or is not a follower of Jesus, but it's much simpler than that. And it's this, love one another. That's it. 
That's all. How do you know if someone's a follower of Jesus? Well, they love one another. They love each other. That's it. That's the test. Uh, now, I have to be honest that um, when, I, when I found out that I was preaching this passage uh, and I started reading through it and studying it, I was trying to kind of figure out a way to kind of twist this a little bit to make it more about like we have to love those outside of the church because that's what I'm like much more passionate about. I love to, to talk about loving people outside of the church. And so when I, when I started uh, looking through this, I, I, wanted, I wanted some way to make this love one another means we've got to go out and love everyone outside of the church. But the more I studied this, um, I kind of I noticed that John was making it very clear that he's talking about one another, us, fellow believers. And not to say that loving those outside of the church is not important because we see through Jesus' ministry that that is absolutely important and vital. But in this instance right here, what John is addressing is love one another. And I gotta be honest, studying this kind of stepped on this pastor's toes a little bit. Um, because if I'm really honest, it's really easy for me to get caught up on focusing on just outside instead of one another in here. As I was studying, I was feeling a little bit uh, intruded upon, and that's not a comfortable place to be. But that, isn't that what Jesus does for us? He points out those areas in your life that are like, yeah, Josh, you're, I got more for you. <laughs> and he eases you and pushes you, or sometimes he has to full out kick you uh, to get there. Love our fellow believers. And I don't think that John is just talking like in a generic sense, like, yeah, I love Christians. I love my fellow believers. I love all, all the Jesus lovers. I love them. Uh, I don't think he's talking about this necessarily this generic sense of this idea. But I, I believe that he's, um, he's stating that like when we love one another, we love one another right here in our community. Our, our church community, our community of, of believers, we love each other. And what a beautiful um, statement that Christy made about coming around and surrounding and loving the Gilman family to tie into what I'm talking about here. We love one another. We meet needs. Like I said, I would much rather preach a message on reaching out because that's what I'm passionate about. But God has challenged me this week on the importance of reaching in and loving one another. John goes on to say, um, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So John makes it very clear what this kind of litmus test is for believers. Love one another, right? Uh, but then he decides to give kind of a, an example of the opposite of what this looks like. Um, and, and he uses this idea, this story of Cain from Genesis. Uh, we, we, if you're familiar with the story, Cain killed Abel. Uh, the reason being at some point uh, in Genesis, God had called these two to some sort of act of worship. And Genesis doesn't really go into specific details about what he had called them to, uh, but we know that he called them to some sort of act of worship, and Cain and Abel responded with their offerings. And we see that for whatever reason, again, scripture doesn't really specify, but we see that for whatever reason, God was pleased with Abel's offering, but not pleased with Cain's offering. And so Cain was, was uh, none too pleased uh, when it came to God not accepting his, his offering. And, uh, and in a fit of jealousy and anger, he took the life of his brother. 
Now, interestingly, as it relates to the passage that we're talking about today, uh, God later says to Cain, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And what is Cain's response? Do you remember? He says, God, am I my brother's keeper? And when we look at that with this passage that we're looking at today, the obvious answer is, yeah, Cain, you are. And yeah, believers of Jesus, we are our brother's keeper. We love one another. But John says that Cain belonged to the evil one, and the evidence was that he did not love his brother, and that came through in murdering his brother. Then John goes on, and he brings up this saying that he had heard Jesus talk about before. And I'm sure that this was fresh in John's mind. He says, guys, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't you just love when you read that? <laughs> or when Jesus is talking, like, don't you just love when you read that? And like, guys, the, the world's going to hate you. Because I don't know about you, but for me, I kind of like to be liked. <laughs> I'm kind of a people pleaser. And I like it when people like me. And when people don't like me, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> and so John is saying, don't be surprised. The world's probably going to hate you. And that was a, a reflection of what Jesus had taught earlier. Guys, don't be surprised if the world hates you because they hated me. Yippee, right? Like, yeah, everybody's going to hate us. That's exciting news. Now, I don't think that, I don't think that uh, John is saying, like, we should go out and do everything possible to make people hate us, right? Like, he's not saying, like, you guys should try to be hated, and you guys should post things on, on Facebook and Instagram that will make people hate you. And you should be really nasty to people so that people, like, that's not what John's saying. He's not saying try to be hated. He's saying this world, the people of evil, are not used to people loving like Jesus has called you to love each other. This, this unconditional love where you look out for each other's best interest. And when they see that, they're not gonna be big fans of it. Then John goes on to say, um, we, know, we know that we have passed from, the death, from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Uh, I, I love that John uses this phrase that we know. Like we know, meaning we can be confident that we have passed from death to life. Again, how can we be confident? How can we know that we've passed from death to life? How do we know if someone is this follower of Christ? If someone is on the side of life and not death, we know because we love each other. Simple as that. How do you know? We know because we love each other. We love our fellow believers, especially those fellow believers in our very own community. And then he says, he doesn't just leave it on a positive note where if you do this, then you're good and you're, and you're, and you're a child of God. He goes on to give the opposite. Um, you, know, you know that someone is, is loving Jesus, is following Jesus if they love one another. Uh, he uses a little bit of philosophical logic to kind of imply that the opposite then is also true. If someone does not love, they remain in death. And he takes it a little bit of a step further to say that anyone who hates a brother or sister is a what? Is a murderer. 
and those people remain in death. One of the themes of, of this book of 1 John that we've talked about, and Pastor Paul has kind of preached about through his series, um, is this idea of abiding. Abiding in the Father. We abide in the Father through Jesus. And in this instance, he talks about those who hate their brothers and their sisters, and he talks about remaining or abiding in death. The opposite of abiding in the Father is abiding, remaining in death. And that's the people who hate one another, who hate their brothers and sisters. Those are very strong words um, by John, um, who, who spent, but, but he spent his time with Jesus. And he, he began to understand that this idea of love and loving one another was kind of a big deal. In fact, it was the big deal. John took this very seriously. Um, but, but here's the deal. John, in, in talking this, with this, um, like, I feel like at this point, John could have just ended that chapter right there and been like, okay, guys, love one another, ready, go get them, right? Like, go love one another because that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Just go love, um, but he wasn't satisfied with that. And I can't blame him because uh, this idea of love and what love is, uh, uh, love can get so dumbed down because we use the word love so much because I love pizza. I could eat pizza about every day. I love it. Anybody else? Can I get a witness? All right, that's what I thought. I love pizza. Chris Davis loves ice cream. I've never met a guy who, eats, who could eat ice cream for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then a midnight snack, but Chris Davis can. He loves pizza. I love my wife. I love my two boys. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Sorry. Depending on your age right there, you were either thinking of like the old song. Is that the Night of the Roxbury song where they do that? Okay, okay, good deal. Or if you're younger, you thought of the Eminem and Lil Wayne song. Either way. Um, so John wasn't, John, sorry, John wasn't okay with just saying, guys, love each other. He wanted to give Example, Like, what does this look like? And so uh, for John, um, when, he, when he decides to give this example of what this look like, looks like, let's be very clear that for John, this wasn't just some secondhand story uh, that, that, that he'd heard passed on from a friend of a friend about this guy who really, really loved his, his friends, right? This wasn't some secondhand story. Like, this was real life for John, because John was intimate with Jesus. He was friends and he walked with Jesus. So this isn't just some ideological thing where he talks about some guy who really loved people and so he laid down his life for them and it really was just kind of a, an idea out there. This was real life for John. This was the experience that he had, that this is what love is. That Jesus Christ, my friend, that I walked with for three years, my best friend laid down his life for us. And that's what we ought to do for our brothers and sisters. Now here's the deal, sometimes I can just gloss over 
this concept and not give it much thought. Because my initial thought when I read this idea of laying down my life for other people is a very physical, like literal sense. And and in my head, I can kind of just justify and brush it off as if to say, yeah, someday down the road, if I ever have to lay down my life and die for one of my friends, then sure, I guess I could do that. And it's very easy for me to just gloss over that and think in terms of a very futuristic, if that ever happened, God forbid, I guess I could do it. But I think when we do that, we miss the importance of what it looks like to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters right here and right now. John says, real love lays down their life for others. Are you, am I willing to do that for my brothers and sisters right now? Not like physically die, although that's the ultimate example that Jesus gave us. But right here, right now, not necessarily the physically dying aspect, but are you okay with inconveniencing yourself for your brothers and your sisters? Like, are you okay with your life being interrupted in order to benefit your brothers and your sisters? That's what laying down your life looks like. That it's no longer about you. It's about your brothers and your sisters. And somehow, in some way, through the grace and the help of God, that somehow we no longer prioritize our benefit above everyone else's benefit. That somehow we lay down our life and all of a sudden, the good of you becomes more important than the good of me. Are we willing to lay down our life like that? To love like that? And then in verse 17, uh, John gives a kind of a practical example of what this looks like. Everyday life, real life, what does this look like? Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? This is practically what this looks like. If we have the capability to meet a need of one of the brothers and sisters in our congregation and we don't meet it, how can we say that the love of God is in us? But on the other hand, if we have the capability of meeting needs and we step up and we meet those needs, then surely the love of God is in us. I think of the way that our congregation stepped up and met the needs of the Gilmans over the past few weeks. Like, this is what love looks like. This love for one another where we inconvenienced ourselves in order for the benefit uh, of someone else. If we have the possessions, if we have the abilities to meet a need, but we fail to meet that need, John puts it pretty bluntly. How can the love of God be in us? And then, I think that John says... To us, but don't just say that you love. Like, don't just give this great speech about how you love each other and how you talk about how you love each other. I think John is kind of saying, prove it. Prove that you love each other. Um, last month, um, I took some teens on a mission trip. Uh, we took kind of a road trip. 
And one of the places that we stopped at was, uh, was Toledo. Uh, and it was a church called That Neighborhood Church. And as I got there, I actually noticed this on their website when I was researching the place, but when we got there, very big, very bold. Uh, they're called That Neighborhood Church. And then they have this mission statement or this vision core values statements. And it's this, love God, love others, prove it. And I, and I asked the pastor, I said, just tell me, tell me about your, uh, your mission statement, your vision statement. And he said, you know, we, we always talk about love God, love others, love God, love others. We hear it all the time throughout the church, and that's what we're called to do, love God, love others. He said, but when I planted this church six years ago, I was tired of people just saying that we love people, and we love God, and we love people. And so I tacked on these two words, prove it. Don't just say that we love people in this neighborhood if we're not going to actually love people in this neighborhood. I think John here is saying, don't just talk about it because that means nothing unless your actions show otherwise. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians uh, from the message translation. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate or the clanging of a, of a, a gong in the, in the NIV version. We can talk and we can say these words, but unless it meets action and shows love, it means nothing. We're a creaking, rusty gate. Prove it. Now, the rest of this passage uh, kind of goes on to talk about uh, the confidence that we have in God, and, and I want to just touch uh, briefly on this. Um, it, it almost seems that John is saying, Hey guys, you know those lists that you sometimes come up with uh, that you use to determine if someone else is being a good Christian or a good follower of Jesus? Uh, you, you know those lists that you come up with or those faux benchmarks and standards that you use? Uh, I, I feel like John is saying, don't beat yourselves up with these lists uh, when it comes to your own relationship with Jesus. He says, your heart can sometimes play tricks on you and keep you from accepting God, that God's grace has redeemed you because you don't feel like you live up to and you're worthy of God's grace. Let's be clear, we're not worthy, right? But that condemnation of our hearts tells us that, that, that we can't have confidence that God's grace has redeemed us. But John reminds us, God is greater than the condemnation of our hearts, we can have full confidence in our redemption. We can use this same litmus test for ourselves. Simple. Do I love my brothers and my sisters? Now, here's the deal. This passage makes for a very nice sermon. <laughs> It's pretty easy for me to stand up here and, and talk about this. And for you, it's probably pretty easy for you to sit back and, and listen to this. Or maybe it's not easy because I'm not doing a good job or something like that. Um, it's very easy for us to, um, to put this concept and these ideas in a nice little neat box. And like many other um, ideas and concepts in the Bible, it's really easy for us to make this really tidy. Like for us to say, oh, that's really nice. I'm going to tuck that away in my pocket and use it someday, <laughs> right? But we live in a real world. And we live in a real community. And, and we're around each other a lot. 
And I don't know if you know this, but when we're around people a lot, feelings get hurt. When we open ourselves up in a community like this, chances are at some point we're gonna get hurt. And the longer we walk through this community with each other, the greater the chances of being hurt are. And that's what makes it really tough to truly live out what we're talking about. If I had to guess, as we're talking about loving each other, some of you are probably, maybe, possibly thinking about that person (laughs) in our community. You're like, yeah, but Josh, you don't know what they did to me. (laughs) You're right, I don't. Um, And throughout verse... um, throughout these verses that I read in 1 John, there are times when John uses the plural brothers and there are times when John uses the singular um, brother. And I, I think that maybe John is saying like, it's really pretty easy to say that we love our brothers and our sisters. Like we love everyone. We love our, our fellow believers. But I think that John is also challenging us to love our brother love our sister, to love that one or those two that have hurt you. As, I, as, I was, uh, as I've been preaching, who is it that you're thinking of? Because like I said, we live in the real world. When the rubber meets the road with this idea, there's that person in your mind. And maybe it's someone who didn't invite you to one of the, one of the, one of the gatherings and you've been hurt by that. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's someone who broke your confidence uh, of a conversation in a small group and that spread. Maybe it's a pastor. Because <laughs> sometimes as pastors, we don't have it all together. And maybe there's something that one of us pastors did and you're holding on to it and it's a grudge and you're bitter about it. Maybe that's who it is that you're like, I don't know that I can love them. John says, we know the Christ follower because they love each other. We lay down our lives for one another. We inconvenience ourselves for the benefit of other people. We put their priorities above our priorities, especially that one that's hurt you but we don't just say that we love them. We prove it. We don't just talk about, oh yeah, I love them, I've forgiven them, it's cool. Let's go on. No, we prove it. So here's the deal. With a sermon like this, I could just pray and we could be done and that would be cool. But I feel like if we did that, then I would just be contributing to the speech, talk, no action. I believe that God is calling us to respond. I believe that God always calls us to respond when his word speaks to us. That's why our youth group is called Respond Student Ministries because everything we do is a response to the word of God. So here's the deal. The word of God is this. Love one another. Um, We're gonna take just a few minutes of silence and I would encourage you, actually, would you go ahead and stand? 
I don't know whatever God is calling you to, to respond, how, how God is calling you to respond. But maybe, just maybe there's that one person in your mind that you just haven't been able to love and you haven't been able to lay your life down for them because of something that happened in the past. Here's your chance. I believe that it starts with asking Jesus for forgiveness. And then I think that it goes on to ask Jesus to help us. Jesus, what does it look like to love this person? And to be honest, I don't want to. <laughs> it's gonna be really tough, and I don't know how to do that. But I know that you've called us because this is how we know that we are followers of Jesus, that we love one another. And so I don't want this one broken relationship to hang us up. Maybe it's somebody in this room. I don't know. Maybe it'd be crazy enough to think that we could walk across the room and pray together at the altar. Or maybe it's just spending time at the altar asking God's forgiveness. Or maybe it's somebody that's in second service and you intentionally come to first service so that you can avoid them. Oh, stick around for second service. Sit with them. That'd be crazy. Um, I'm gonna give just a few minutes of silence. I would invite you to come if you feel like coming. Uh, respond however God is calling you to respond. Jesus, we confess to you that at times we have not loved one another the way you have called us to. We ask that you would forgive us We also ask that you would teach us what it looks like to love our brothers and sisters. As you bring to mind those people who, have we, who we have had a really tough time loving because of something they've done or said or whatever the case may be, would you give us tangible ways that we can lay down our lives for them? This is the, this is the, the standard, the litmus test that you've given to us through John. This is what you taught. Love one another. Help us, to, help us to not just use words and speech to say that we love each other. Help our actions to reflect that. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you for always being faithful to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed.